When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on alerting others to your new address, sick kiddos coming to parties, noise and neighbors, saying no to attending parties, and handling rude comments behind your family's back. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on setting up your guest room. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your ex- Extra question of the week is about guests who overtake the kitchen and overstay their welcome. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm out of here. You are out of here. Although I'm not as excited about it as I used to be. <laughs> That's because it's the holidays. You want to be home. And I'm going to miss Anisha. <laughs> That's when I see you want to be home. Well, you're out of here, too. I am? Aren't you going to New York? No. Don't you have a recording to do? No. Well, I do, but we're oh, we're doing it here. So I am recording the audiobook version of the book I've been writing for the past year, which we are eventually going to tell you all about. And it's happening here. But actually, Chris was able to find us a local studio so that I didn't have to travel for it. I thought you were going to do that in New York. <laughs> I sense minor jealousy coming from the mic across from me. Well, I was picturing I know, you, you right in the, be, like, yeah. downtown in for a couple of days. Enjoying the city. Yeah. No, I like that vision. Thank you, cousin. That's a good, yeah, picture that, Lizzie. <laughs> no, instead I'll be here at home doing my normal, normal routine, which these days has really been consisting of a lot of knitting and hand sewing at home. I finished my first of Jasper's, my nephew's Christmas gifts uh, last night, and I am hand sewing him stuffed animals. And so I did the alligator last night. I did Very like a, cool. a test run yesterday and made it and gave it to Benny because it, it like it needed some some work. But I, I got it, man. It like came out looking like what I wanted it to come out looking like. I'm working on a scarf for I won't say who because they might listen to the podcast. But yeah, so I've been doing a lot of crafty home, home, quiet, living alone type things. You see, that sounds very nice to me. <laughs> but it's minus the daughter. So you're not, you know, it's like that's the thing you want to be home for. The other vision I'm getting is of mud. We have some oh, of yeah. her crafted stuff. That's our grandmother, by the way. We haven't mentioned her in a while. We do call her mud. And she used to do needlepoint mm-hmm. and uh, sort of this – she would paint on stools. And we have all these little items that were mud craft items that, that are now in niches that remind me of her. And I think it's really nice. Good work. Thank you. <laughs> I've been doing crafting with small pointed objects and string and fabric. You were you were crafting but building things that were already built. Yeah, and nowhere near as cool. <laughs> I was putting together IKEA furniture. <laughs> And kind of failing spectacularly at first. Hold on. You built a bridge out of, like, nothing to your house when it got washed away in Irene. What do you mean you didn't work? Because if I stand corrected, this was a couch you were moving from one place to another. So you didn't actually even have to, like, take it out of the boxes. It was, like, half put together. What happened, cuz? <laughs> I don't know what happened. Well, I kind of do know what happened. I got hungry and frustrated and stopped thinking clearly halfway <laughs> through reassembly. And I was trying to force it. It was like a tension system couch. Okay. And I had done order of operations wrong a couple times in terms so, of where you – what you bolt in first. So it was tense. Yes. <laughs> and I was trying to like pull the thing into place and get the screw and it just wouldn't go and it wouldn't go and – Eventually, I got really frustrated, and I just left it, and I went to eat and abandoned the project. And sure enough, I'm driving home, and once I'm calm and well-fed, 
it occurs to me, oh, that's how you do it. Or you just unscrew <laughs> that one on the back and... And then click. The whole thing falls into place easily, like IKEA furniture should. And it wasn't terrible. It was maybe like an hour of sort of frustrating work, but it was a five-minute solution. I was able to stop on my way to work this morning and... Fix it. Get the office set up so Pooja can use it today. Oh, what a good hubby. Anyway, that's a a little bit into our lives (laughs) and what we've been up to the past week. Do you think that we should check in with our listeners' lives and answer some of their questions? Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, please put sustaining member in your subject line. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is, eek, we moved. Question for awesome etiquette. My family and I just moved, and I didn't send out notices with our new addresses to family and friends. I'm writing my Christmas cards now. Is it enough that I send them out early and put our new address in the return spot on the envelope? Or should I add a note inside the card to direct attention to the new address? I want to receive my usual Christmas cards, and I'm afraid that won't happen. I oh, love, no. I kind of love that this is coming from the waiter, and I want to get my Christmas cards this year. <laughs> I say if you really want to get those cards, make that little insert and tuck it right in. I wouldn't write it on the card itself. I'd keep the card about that holiday message that you're delivering. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't count on people noticing the return address change. I know that in our family, we have a spreadsheet with people's addresses. We're not looking at return envelopes and mm-hmm. having that little Notice. that little insert and just run off a couple sheets of them, tuck them in with the cards, and that should help. Absolutely. In fact, the card you're referring to originally started as a card that you would send out once you were back from your honeymoon, and it was called At Home. And it was just a card that you would send that had your address on it, and it was, this was how to reach me at home. And that was the idea. And so, but when you move, you kind of have to resend all of those out. And we don't always think about it in this very digital age, but it is really 
important. And I don't know about you, Dan, but I'm not the most graceful when I open things. I'm pretty excited about it. And so often I tear through that return address. And I think you're smart to say that it's really important to kind of give that its direct attention where it's due. It doesn't have to be in the newsletter, like you said. And um, I think people will be grateful. It's also easy to take that card out, you know, put it with your office stuff so that when it does come time to update your contacts, it's right there. And your pretty card that's your holiday card can go on the windowsill or the refrigerator, like you said. Final thought. Yeah. I moved not too long ago and mail forwarding is really nice. Be sure that the post office at your old address knows your new address so that they can forward that mail to you. Because this happened to me, I'm also aware that that mail forwarding only happens for a certain period of time. You might be beyond that window. I don't know if there's a way to get it extended if – you haven't done the mail forwarding, definitely do the mail forwarding. If you're past that window, maybe call and inquire and see if they could help you get those holiday cards. Eek, we moved. We hope you love your new house and that this holiday is awesome. With lots of cards coming your way. Zip code is bringing the mail explosion under control. It is as up-to-date as the computer. Electronically reading zip codes and sorting the mail. It is a success. But to make zip code work, you must use it. It concerns our postal system. Our lifetime friends and all of you know They've never failed us through the years Through driving rain, sleet or snow But now they've got a problem. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Our next question is about sick kiddos being no-goes. Hello, Dan and Lizzie. First of all, I love your show and have been listening since the dinner party download days. I'm so glad you are carrying on your family tradition in such a new and old way. My question is a hosting question. A friend of mine has, now on two occasions, come to a family-friendly party with his sick kid. The first time was at a friend's party. He sent a group text earlier in the day telling us he thought his son was sick earlier in the day but was now feeling better and was asking if we were okay with him coming. I think we were all feeling a little stuck. It was awkward to be in the place to make that call for him. Even at the party, he was talking about all these signs his son was sick this morning and said that his son's child care provider said that he seemed to be feeling unwell that same day. After the party, several of us and our kids got sick with a pretty bad cold or possibly the flu. Then yesterday, at the very next friend group party, which I happened to have hosted, he brought his sick kid again. This time after sending texts since Friday telling us how he's been up all night with his son who was vomiting, possibly had food poisoning. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And again, sent a similar text Saturday, the day before the party, and possibly that same morning. This time he didn't ask us to weigh in, and I didn't know how to respond to his unrelated texts stating what they were bringing to the party. Long story short, they left early and his son vomited again. And here I am at 1.15 a.m. with a stomach virus. I hope I didn't spread around at work today. And crossing my fingers, my little one didn't get it as well. What should I have done? The first time, it wasn't my party. But now I feel responsible for exposing everyone else, including babies and the elderly, to a very predictable bug. Should I have talked separately or called him to express sympathy and ask that they don't come? His kid is in a childcare setting, and as I work in the medical field with kids, I feel it is fairly well known that kids need to stay home 24 hours if exhibiting vomit, diarrhea, or a fever, and to be free before coming back to daycare, school therapy, etc. My husband thinks I'm overreacting, but now I've already lost a couple of sick days and will definitely not be able to go into the office tomorrow. Never mind if anyone more vulnerable gets it. Help, what should I have done? Thank you again for your positive and uplifting show, Twice Scorned. This is so 
tough and what a great question. But first of all, you, I think that might be the first time some of those words have made it onto our podcast. I hope it didn't make it. I stumbled squeamish. over them a little bit. <laughs> um, stomach issues is another way we could say it. But this is so hard. You're right to be thinking about when you're the host and when you're not. When you're the host, yes, you can absolutely say, you know, I hate to say this, but I think it's going to be best if maybe we don't come to the party if you've been feeling sick. Usually the contagious stage is before symptoms get really serious. So if when you're in that stage where you think you're getting sick, that's actually the time when you're most likely to be passing it around to people, not once you actually have your symptoms having set in for a few days. Um, you can still obviously share germs at that stage, but it's these early days that are the harder ones. You don't Sometimes you don't even know that you're sick and you go to something and then two days later, everybody has the same cold. And stomach stuff is really tough, too, because that's just I mean, that takes everybody out. Anna's son had a had a stomach thing this summer that each of us ended up getting. And it just wow, it's it's power. I have not been sick from a virus for the stomach in a while, only from food poisoning. There is a big difference between the two, at least for this particular virus there was. But I think that it is okay when you're in that host role to say, I really hate to say this, but I do need to think about the other people who are here. And if you think that you're getting sick, it's really best for you to stay home. And I'm going to make that suggestion. This person could still end up on your doorstep and then try to be a gracious host. But I think that it's it's they're choosing not to make the, the healthy call, the safety call. And I think that when you have that many other people, like you said, elderly and babies around as well, who tend to get sick more easily, um, I think it's worth it. And I think that we can be respectful and polite in that and we can be understanding in that and sympathize with the fact that, you know, oh, gosh, we'd hate to have you guys miss out on the party. But I think it's really the best idea. And last time I was pretty worried about getting sick and, you know, it happened and I'd rather not go through that again. And I would not add in that last bit, by the way. That was not good sample language. That's me like going too far. <laughs> Dan, sorry, you were going to say. <laughs> that last little bit aside, mm-hmm. I think you've got two pretty good sample scripts going. Okay. I am in pretty much full agreement with you. I think when you've got that hosting role and someone's essentially signaling to you that they want some help making the choice, it's okay to offer that assistance, that perspective. I had been thinking something like, it sounds like little Jeff is not feeling well. If he is sick, I'd like you to consider staying home so others aren't exposed. I I think that my thinking was you leave the decision in their hands, hands, Mm -hmm. but you acknowledge that, no, I'm I'm hearing what you're saying. You're signaling to me that maybe things aren't all good. And if that's the case, I want you to know that I would – appreciate it. I would prefer it. And that's a fair and reasonable decision for you to make. And far from being disrespectful, it's going to be honoring your host. I I like the fact that you're finding a way to put the choice technically in the hands of the person coming. I know of parents who've done it. I've been the babysitter who was on hold and then they decided to go to the thing anyway and then everybody gets sick. And I can feel this like cloud of comments coming our way about do you realize what happens when you knock a family out with a cold? And that you've got likely two parents who end up not being able to work for a couple of days, either because of staying home and taking care of children or needing to find child care for children and then having that expense. I mean, you know this because you guys know what happens just if if Anisha gets pink eye or something like that. And then it's like, whoa, wait, calling me in the morning. Liz, I can't make it to the and then it throws everything out of whack. I'm kind of at a place where I'm ready to and this is not like decided, but I'm kind of at a place where I'm ready for Emily Post Etiquette to be really supportive of that and of hosts and of being able to set a boundary where it says, you know, if you think you're sick, please don't come. But what I love about Dan's language is that it says, I would prefer it if you don't come because it still makes the choice the the other person's choice. And it's it's them making decisions about their health and stuff. And I understand needing to respect that. But I think it sets up really clearly that, no, this is not what I would like to have happen in my home for the day. You said something right at the start that I also like that I think is sort of a a good broad perspective to keep in mind, which is that there's a certain amount of risk involved in getting kids together and getting people together. Very true. There are runny noses and then there's pink eye. Yeah. (laughs) And this is – 
December, January, February in Vermont, yeah. and people have chap lips and runny noses, and then there's I've got a cold, or the and I've got a runny flu? nose, or I've got a flu, or I've got something really contagious, and they're not all the same. Correct. And it really is up to the person who's dealing with those symptoms and evaluating their health to make the choice of, no, this is just the same runny nose that everybody has right now, and it's okay, we're still going to go to the birthday party, the big Halloween party. I mentioned the Halloween party because I need to take a little parent bow here. <laughs> Anisha had a maybe pink eye conjunctivitis situation when my brother and Susan had their Halloween birthday party for their little nieces. And it is one of my favorite parties of the whole year. All the parents show up in costumes. Which you don't like doing. So I love that this is your favorite party of the year. <laughs> I like my brother's friends. You do. I can admit that. I, he's got a cool group of friends. So I like to go to his parties and hang See out with them his all friends. Dressed up. <laughs> I love it, Dan. I love it. But and, so this party, it's, it's one you really look forward to. Anisha's situation was a great big maybe. Yeah. But it was a maybe around something that was really potentially very contagious. There were going to be something like 17 kids there. We just couldn't do it. We had to say, you know, this party happens next year. And (laughs) we had been given the option to go. But later on, when I was talking to Will about it, he and Susan had been talking and been like, we are so glad they didn't come. They had said, oh, it'd be fine. It'd be no problem. They went the other route as hosts. Your family will include you. We all get sick. We just won't touch her. (laughs) This stuff gets passed back and forth. Oh, she's probably not contagious anymore. That's very generous of them. They gave us the out. They left the decision in our hands. Again, parent bow. I think we made the right one. But I think you could be firmer than they were with us. And I don't think it would require even as much decision making for someone in my shoes in that situation. It would have made it a little bit easier to say, you know, they really said that if it was a close call, they would appreciate it if we did. You know, this is okay. Final thought is just that this brings me to as a parent, it's really hard to think about getting to socialize with other adults and getting your child to get to socialize. And I don't know the particulars of of this family dynamic or anything, but that might have been something that both the child and the parent or one or the other was really looking forward to. And it makes it such a tough, tough call. And actually having your host be a little bit more directive could be a relief to that person in some ways. I probably would have gone if it hadn't been a similar situation that Anisha got pink eye at yeah. maybe six months before. It wasn't the, this party the previous year, but it was another similar event. Mm-hmm. And someone brought a child who was supposed to no longer be contagious. And they were when contagious. Anisha woke up with that pink eye, <laughs> we knew where she got it. Twice scorned, clearly you've struck a nerve. This is something I've had to deal with quite a bit myself. And I appreciate the opportunity to go over it on the show. But if in spite of all these precautions, you still come down with a cold... Let us repeat, take it to bed and stay there until it has run its course. This is the safest way to regain your health and to return as quickly as possible to work, to fun, and to play. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This question is titled Noise and Neighbors. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you for your lovely podcast. Context for my question. I live in an apartment. Also, I play the violin in a local community orchestra. As such, I need to practice my music in my apartment, and the violin can be quite loud depending on the music. I don't have another option of where to practice with any regularity. I want to be courteous to my neighbors who have always been quiet and easy to get along with, and yet I also need to practice after work a couple of days of the week. My question is this. When should I cut it off? Is there a time in the evening that you should be quiet in an apartment? Best, Ariel. I've got an idea. Oh, okay. I want to count down one, two, three, and then we'll each say the time that we think is the cutoff time at the same time. Well, I have two answers. 
Okay, we'll try it your way. Give it to me. One. Three, two, one. Nine eight p.m. <laughs> so I was saying eight p.m. Why do you say nine? I say nine because I'm guessing that not everyone is able to get home at five p.m. And if there's a commute, and then there's dinner. And then you get into practicing. And I also typically nine to nine is like the the general guideline for communication that 9 a.m. in the morning to 9 p.m. in the evening is good. I do think eight is safer. I think eight is safer. I I started this by saying I have two answers. Can I scream both out? And why are you thinking a second answer? Ask your neighbors. Talk with them about it. Talk to them and say, hey, I get home at 7 p.m. and I really do need to practice my violin, but I understand how loud it is. So I wanted to check in with you if it would be all right if Monday, Wednesday, Friday I played until 9 p.m. or until 10 p.m. You know, you can, once you get the conversation going, you can make that moving target work for both of you. But I think that talking with people that, you know, you have something you'd like to do, but boy, you've been real hesitant to do it because you know how much it could impact the people around you, I think is a great way to start the conversation. And then say, I need this. This is what I need to be able to do in order to practice well and and be prepared for my piece. Do you think we could? And then you get the suggestion, or would it be all right? Or would it bother you if... And then you're just getting information. Once you've gotten the information, you can choose, you know, if they say no noise after 6 p.m., I think that's unrealistic. Um, And that's where you say, well, that's not realistic, but I I would love, knowing that you'd prefer 6, I'll try to keep it to 8 p.m., you know. They might have a favorite TV show one day of the week, but after that... 10 or 11 o'clock is no problem. Right. Or they might have to go to bed really early one night because a kid has hockey practice in the morning or something the next day. Um, And so working with each other's schedules, I think, is a really thoughtful place to start from. The only other thought I have is that I oftentimes care more about noise too early in the morning more than I care about too late at night. But there's also that option at the other end of the day if you are one of those morning people who like to tackle your... Practicing? Yes, practice in the morning. Why not? Ariel, there are many solutions to this problem, but I think that it probably starts with an ask or a couple of conversations so that you can get a feel for your apartment neighborhood and see what's going to be best for everyone involved. Our next question is about not party people. Hello, my question is this. My husband and I find holiday parties very uncomfortable. We are introverts and party situations are just stressful. We have friends who throw a holiday party every year. In the past, we made excuses and sometimes have gone for a short time, but this year we are wondering if there is an acceptable way to just be honest with them. Is it okay to decline by saying we aren't party people? I don't want to offend them or be thought of as weird. However, I also want to stand up for myself, as I am tired of feeling an obligation to attend social situations that I don't enjoy. Thank you for your reply, Anonymous. I have two thoughts. One is we did a five-part series on how to mix and mingle well at parties, and I would encourage you to to re-listen to those postscripts And see if any of them feel like you're ready to tackle those to get you in the party spirit for the holiday season. Um, But I also want to just point out that it's okay to just say no. And it's if you aren't a social person, nothing says that you have to then be social. And if you've got your partner and you guys like doing things at home and you 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 don't want to attend these big events, maybe you even only have you know one person or one couple over at a time. Um, You don't host big events. I think that it's fine for you to just say, oh, thank you so much for the invitation. We're going to decline this year, but we really appreciate it. It is always nice to be invited to things, I think. And so you can say that honestly, unless you really don't want the invitation. And then we say, just turn it down and say, no, thank you. But I think it's fine. You can just say no. You don't. I mean, I, I have friends who just don't come to the big events. It's absolutely okay to say no. So let me ask a follow-up question. Please. How do you avoid the impression of the the bah humbug that there's the st- archetype in the holiday 
yeah, yeah, no, 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 I know of the person the... who just is, right. is a frowning yeah. non-contributor. Well, so I think you don't be that. I mean, if you if you call up and say, "Oh, thank you so much, we really appreciate it," then you're not bah humbugging anything, but you are saying no. Um, and so I think that that's you know you have that friendly voice in your tone. You don't say, "Uh, we really don't like parties." No, thanks. I mean, that's not going to do it. You know, that's your bah humbug person. Ugh, why is everyone celebrating this time of year? It's so stupid. That's that's how you avoid bah humbug, is you just don't be bah humbug. But just not participating is different from being bah humbug. I like that because I like the basic answer of it's okay to say no. You don't have to go to anything you don't want to go to. And maybe getting your no reply away from all the reasons for the no and into a appreciation for being included or thought of is a way to, I don't know, walk that line without falling into that place of being judged as someone who's negative about these things all the time. You mentioned in your question that you are wondering how this is going to come across. And this is something that that you need to take note of, is that if you don't participate, if you don't say yes to these types of invitations, at least on occasion, I don't think they're going to think of you as weird, but I think that they are not going to keep you on their lists of, of guest lists for very long if you continually say no. And that's not a threat. This might actually be a goal of yours, um, is to not get invited to these things, but to keep your socializing to the one-on-one or to the, you know, when you reach out to someone. But you kind of can't have all of it, I think. You can't you can't not participate and want to be invited. You can't always say no to someone's invitations and think that they are going to totally understand all the time. I mean, I eventually we tell people, you know, you keep saying no and eventually someone will stop asking you. That's often our advice to folks who are looking to stop invitations from coming. And so I think you do want to be aware of that. And as Dan said, you don't have to be bah humbug about it, but you do want to take care, I think, with your individual relationships with these people so that you don't lose those friendships to, you know, constantly saying no to larger social events. But I don't want you to feel like as introverts that you have to participate in those events. It does mean, though, that you have to take care with your friendships outside of them. Anonymous, we hope this helps you feel a little less weird about handling all your holiday invitations. He'll still have his moments of doubt, of hesitation, but he can face these problems now because he knows that he's not really different. He's discovered that it can be done, and that's the main thing, isn't it? Our final question today is titled Behind the Back, and it's a tough one. Sometimes my extended family will say rude things about my sister or her kids behind her back. Should I tell her or let her stay ignorant of their comments? Anonymous. Painful, right? To me, this is a short question that could have a very, very long do answer. Could do a whole show on this. Could do a whole show. And I... Because of that, I really want to keep the advice short in some ways. And I think there are some key things to think about. My first thought is that if what you would say could help, say something. But if what you're going to say is only going to hurt someone, if it's not going to ultimately lead to the situation getting better or them feeling better about it in the long run, sometimes it's good to not say something. Sometimes it's important to know when – to keep something to yourself. Mm-hmm. Those things that people say really might not be intended to be heard by that person and cause them pain. Correct. And if they thought that those comments would get back to them, they might not say it. And that doesn't excuse that behavior. That doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean that it doesn't put you in an awkward situation. But it's really not necessarily your job to be reporting to someone all the time. I think there are different levels of this because there are um, – idiosyncrasies that we all have in our in our families and in our dynamics. Dan is really neat and clean. <laughs> like he just is. I am really not. 
<laughs> my father is really not. My mother is really neat and clean. And so I think about the things like my mom might be able to walk into a kitchen and very easily turn to my sister and be like, well, Lizzie was definitely here. You know, and that's not a very gracious thing to say about me, but I could see it happening. It would be well-placed judgment. You know what I mean? Um, or, oh, oh, of course, someone's getting controlling about the menu. You know, you could hear or, oh, it's just so frustrating that so-and-so just can't you know, da 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 And there are just these things that are characteristic of us that our families know about and kind of vent or or commiserate a little bit about behind our backs. And it happens. I know my family does it about me. I expect it. But I, I think that's one version of it. And that's the version where, yeah, I don't think you need to be telling people that kind of stuff. I think it's very benign, very small. While it can perpetuate kind of um, stereotypes within a family, I think that, and you you do want to watch out for that. We don't like pigeonholing people. We don't like sticking them with just one characteristic about them that we don't like or something like that. But those can happen. There's another thing that I think Dan was talking about, which is venting, where you are upset with someone or a characteristic of their behavior is really gotten on your nerve to the point where you feel like venting and talking to someone about it. And that's when the ungracious things do get said. And they're they're not kind, but they're also, as Dan said, often not meant for the other person to hear. Sometimes we air that out so that it's gone and out of us and we hear how ugly it sounds or how unnecessary it sounds. I often will say something about someone in my head and think, well, yeah, but then I and, you know, it's that, that self-reflection thing where you think about all the times where you're not great at something and those can be moments that are passing moments, fleeting moments with family, but they're they're real and they do happen and they can have a really nasty tone to them at times. The thing that I think I would stand up for in the moment is if I was hearing really un, unnecessary and unwarranted complaining about someone or mocking of someone or hurtful language about someone. And that's when I might feel willing to say, you know, I'm not the person you should have this conversation with. And I just want to be really clear. Yeah. You're talking about talking with the person who's saying the things, yes. not the, the, the target. So of when that. the when the extended family is saying the rude things about the sister and the kids, that's when I would feel comfortable standing up for them and saying, is that really necessary? She's 10 years old, you know, or do you have to say that about Alice? It's, you know, I don't know why Alice always insists on hanging the decorations that way. It's her thing. Just let her have it. You know what I mean? You can step in and say something. When it comes to talking to your actual sister, I think Dan's advice is perfect. If you think that it would help, then I think you can try to have the conversation. If you're not certain and really take the time to think about it, that bringing this up and making your sister aware of these things that people are saying it's not actually going to get anybody anywhere, then I think it's not the right thing to do. But I would continue in the moment to try to to nip those comments and say you're not willing to be a part of conversations that have them. The one example that I can Please. think of where that, that help might come into play yeah. is maybe the comments that other people are making are rude, but there's a substance to the thing that could be addressed or fixed in a way that might improve the situation broadly. And there might be a way to help out your sister – with the substance of the thing without necessarily getting into the hurtful nature or the rude nature of the comments that you heard. Mm-hmm. I heard so-and-so talking about you bringing a sick kid to the parties <laughs> all the go. time. Yeah. Some helpful information about, oh, when so-and-so is not feeling well, not bringing them so all the cousins don't get sick, mm-hmm. substantive, addresses the situation, yeah. isn't about – I can't believe so-and-so did this again. Now everybody's sick. She's so selfish or whatever it is. I also really agree with you and think you have much more latitude when it comes to addressing the people who are making the comments. I think there you make an assessment of the severity Mm -hmm. of what's going on. And it can even be about the position they're putting you in. So, you know, hearing you talk about so-and-so this way puts me in an awkward position because I'm going to be seeing her tomorrow. Yeah. Or I feel like this is enough that you should address it with her, not me. I think those are really fair things to say. Behind the back, we think you are dealing with an incredibly tricky situation, and we really applaud you trying to look at all the players and think about what's going to be best for everyone. When I had finished explaining what his loose talk had done to Gene, Jack asked me what he could do, and I pulled him away, the only way. He thought it over. It wasn't going to be easy. It would be embarrassing, and we both knew it. But he finally agreed. 
Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Program it into your phone. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette in your post so that we know you want your feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today, we got a voicemail feedback, one of our favorite kinds. Our first piece of feedback comes from Shauna responding to episode 220. So this is very fresh feedback. Hey, Lizzie and Dan. This is Shauna from Reno. I had a piece of feedback for the uh, listener who talked about the little club that they had where two people arrived first, but they were always quite rude and just entering and not speaking to the host. And just a suggestion I wanted to pass along is maybe in addition to what you had mentioned with the very uh, enthusiastic greetings and hello and welcome is to either give them an immediate task to help with in the kitchen or have a topic immediately at mind where it's, hi, you know, Sally and John, I'm so glad you're here. I could use your hand in the kitchen. Could you do X, Y, Z thing to immediately get them engaged um, or even ask them a question about whatever they're meeting about to help direct the conversation in a group format instead. So I hope that helps. Love the show. Thank you so much. Shauna, thank you so much for that feedback. That is a really good piece of advice. I love this idea of figuring out creative ways to engage the offenders. That is good hosting right there. And gives you more options than just Lizzie and my advice to sort of head it off at the pass and catch them at the door with a greeting that was designed to achieve the same thing. Well done. Thanks for sharing. Dan, I know you particularly love our next piece of feedback, and I'm right there with you. I do. And it's it's a piece of visual feedback. So we're going to share this on our social media channels, our Facebook page, and our Twitter It's an internet meme, and it comes from The Princess Bride. And there's a picture of Inigo Montoya, and that's the Mandy Patinkin character. And he's famous at the end of the movie for challenging his rival, the villain in the movie. And he approaches him in a sword fight, in a duel, and he says, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And that's like the line in the movie. I mean, anyone who's seen the movie knows that line so well because it just gets repeated and repeated and repeated. Sorry, I'm getting, now we're going to be watching Princess Bride tonight. <laughs> and, and the duel goes very badly for him at first. I don't want to give away the you movie. You can't but say then things like that. He starts coming back and it's it's just awesome. This piece of feedback has a picture of that character and this famous quote. And then underneath it says, Anigo's Guide to Networking Success. <laughs> One, polite greeting. Two, name. Three, relevant personal link. Four, manage expectations. <laughs> so it's, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> That's great. A breakdown of the introduction. <laughs> Heather, thank you so much for sharing this with us. I can't wait to share it with the entire audience. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming and don't hesitate to make them funny. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your feedback on the show. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is about setting your guest room. The guests are coming. You can hear the doorbells now. (laughs) Having your guest room or house ready for a guest can make the entire experience far better for all than dealing with setting up rooms and beds once your guests arrive. It's absolutely true. And I think the very first thing you want to think of is who will be staying where. I know that was always a really exciting thing for me and my sister, excuse me, my sister and me as kids. And um, it was, it was, you know, oh, would we be in grandma's daisy room or the pink room or the playroom or the red? room, which always sounded kind of scary. Um, But it was, you know, it was a thing. And it's really 
honestly, everyone often feels a little bit like they're imposing when they come to stay at someone's house, even when it's family. Even if I go and crash at, at Dan and Pooja's house, I still feel a little bit like a guest in their home. And it's really nice as a guest to feel like you have a place to put your things and that you know kind of what space you're allowed to occupy. And I know this sounds very formal and stiff, but it's it's the truth. You want to feel like you know where your things can go and where you won't be in the way and where you'll have a chance to relax. Sometimes that is in a common room where you're pulling out, you know, a sofa bed or something like that for the night or blowing up an air mattress for the night and putting it away each day. But it's still the directive of the host. The host actually says, this is where you'll be staying. Here's what I have to provide for you. Setting that up as nicely as possible is really, really great. I think it's great if uh, guests are arriving kind of after the living room is in use and the living room is going to be the place where you have to, to sleep on the couch or something like that, actually making up the bed for the person after dinner so or making up the couch as a bed after dinner. That way it's ready for them when they get there. That feeling of your host being prepared for you, mm-hmm. whatever it is, and it can be a just even having the the pillows and the sheets folded up up and stacked up where they're going to be used can be enough to create that that feeling of this person anticipated me being here and they've thought about me and it's it's really that the display of that thoughtfulness that i think can be so reassuring for a guest who's dealing with that natural awkwardness a lot of people kind of have that moment too where you don't really entertain throughout the rest of the year and then all of a sudden family is showing up for the holidays and you you plan on it and they're family so you don't worry too too much about it but then all of a sudden you're going to, you know they're coming next week what do I do one of the things I really love to do and this is especially great if you're in a new house and haven't done a lot of entertaining this house yet stay a night in your guest room set it up for yourself stay a night down there so that you can hear what does it sound like when the toilet in the room above flushes the or furnace kicks the, on? Yeah, the... or the neighbor is, you know, driving up there. You might not be able to change a lot of these things, but just simply knowing them, being aware of them. I know that my guest room has a TV in it because my neighbor is like right next door to that particular room. And so I just like being able to create some kind of noise for someone in the evening that might help them fall asleep. It gets cold in here at night. Yes. I should have an extra blanket on the foot of the bed. It gets really hot in here at night. I should turn the thermostat down in the main part of the house. Wow, I never realized the cat scratches to get in this door when the room is shut. I forgot that the cat sleeps in here each night. You know, whatever it is, as Dan said, you just test it out. You'll get a sense for it. You'll feel how comfortable you can be. It's a great tip. It's also going to help you figure out what to provide your guest. Yes. And this is a good little list. There are going to be some surprises, but there are some that you're going to be able to count on pretty consistently. Clean bedding. So you both want to make the bed up neatly, but you also want to be sure there's fresh sheets on it. Whether it's an air mattress, whether it's a couch in the living room, whether it's a bedroom in the guest room. I like putting out some fresh soap. For people, mm-hmm. I think if you don't have the the soft soap in the bottles, a fresh bar of soap and some shampoo that they can use in case they haven't brought their own is also something nice to think about. Keeping that bathroom stocked with kind of all the essentials, a really a gentle face wash, a body wash, a shampoo and a conditioner. Um, my mom is really great about keeping spare razors around and some some shave gel. I think that's an added touch. Feminine products are really great to keep around. Um, you don't have to be a lady to keep them around for ladies. Gentlemen, just saying, big tip. But the basics are, like you said, bedding and towels. And that's like that's like the minimum. But I think that um, making sure that there's a little bit of uh, – entertainment or access to entertainment in the room is nice. So even if that's at this day and age, just pointing out to someone, oh, there's an outlet here for you to plug your tablet into or something like that. I still have one of those old school like box TVs with the VCR in it, a little 11 inch thing, you know, and that's in that room with some old VHSs. So, you know, if you really want to go nostalgic, you can. But extras are things like uh, some snacks and some water in the room, I think is a really nice thing. Not extra, but should be in the room or, or in the area, some Kleenex facial tissue, something like that can be really nice. A hair dryer is also a really good thing to keep on hand for guests. Your entertainment thought also transitions to my favorite nice touch, which is being sure the Wi-Fi password is written down and yes. at hand for someone. We have ours on the, the refrigerator under a magnet, but having it in the guest room so if someone sits down, plugs in their computer, takes out their phone, takes out their iPad, and they want to watch a Netflix, they can – 
They can. Grab that <laughs> Wi-Fi password off the, the bedside table or mm. the desk that's in that room. It's a nice little touch. It's a way to take care of your guest. It really is. Snacks. That's another thing. I often say that it's nice to put a little a little box. We talked about a bottle of water, a few things that they might Piece be able to eat. Exactly. Things that they'll feel comfortable eating in their room that you feel comfortable having them eat in their room. Um, but also introduce your guests to your kitchen and introduce your guests to the bathroom if it's a common bathroom. But say, here are the supplies. You know, please help yourself to any of this. The chocolate cake is for tomorrow's party. So please don't dip into that. Or we just always try to make sure that, you know, Gary has milk in the morning for his cereal or something like that, you as the host are generally going to have enough stuff on hand that you're not going to have to warn people about not finishing things. But letting them know what is off limits or being saved for a particular evening is important. And I think it's really nice to do things like try to set things out, like set out some bowls and spoons in the morning if it's going to be a cereal breakfast and some boxes of cereal. Or get things ready so that people could help themselves to coffee in the morning. You might start the coffee maker a little bit earlier so that there is fresh coffee for everybody. Um, but really inviting your guests to do and get it, getting it ready so that you can invite them to do these things, I think is nice. Yum. Coffee. I know. I'm thinking of it, too. I'm also thinking how much I would love to be a guest in someone's home soon. <laughs> I know that sounds really silly, but all this talk of it, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's really nice when you go and visit people. <laughs> we hope this gets you inspired to do some hosting this holiday season. Chime bells ring in the We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Ted, one of our longest listening listeners. (laughs) Dear Lizzie and Dan, I had an etiquette experience the other day that I hope you'll share. To set the stage, I had come home with full hands to a realtor's flyer wedged in my door and felt that little bit of irritation, so I sort of remembered the realtor's name. The next day, I'm walking to the market and see someone talking to a friend who lives down the street. I realize both that this is the realtor who jammed my door, there was a business card with a picture enclosed, and that she's saying hello to me. I say something polite to her, but also slip a little snarky comment about not wedging any more adverts in my door. She was so sweet and apologetic about it that we wound up having a great conversation. Out in the sun for 20 minutes. By the end, I told her to please drop the adverts on my door as a reminder of this talk. (laughs) Already, her politeness, grace, kindness, consideration, respect, and honesty completely won me over. She turned a bad association into a great one. Then, cherry on top, she sent me a handwritten thank you note for having the talk. Blew me away in the best way. Her name is Heather, and she is awesome. Well, Ted, thank you for that awesome salute. That is what a great way to turn, like, something that was annoying and something that you then did a little nying about into a really positive experience and potentially maybe a friendship. And thank you to everyone out there for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute. Please do keep them coming to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute please consider helping us out by becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine, an assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget. Bridget.